story county the mustang still runs free eagle soars above the pinion pines and we know these horses stand for something that is precious and more rare than all the silver and the gold from them old mines so let them run Hi, welcome to Horse Sense 101. I'm your host, Joe Jones, Vale, Oregon's resident redneck and owner of Joe Jones Performance Horses. Horse Sense 101 is a podcast dedicated to helping you have a meaningful relationship with your horse and for them to be a willing partner in all your adventures. The podcast is available every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Mountain Time, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101. You can also find the podcast link, calendar, and news about our upcoming events on our webpage, www.horse-sense101.com, and sign up for our newsletter there as well. And if you have a moment and are so inclined, please leave a review on Podchaser. It's free, and I would really appreciate it. This week, I had a chance to sit down and visit with Mr. Kenny Stone from Fayetteville, Tennessee. Kenny is a lifelong horseman and a moderator of a successful Facebook group of over 16,000 members. Kenny gives lessons and advice and trains horses. Good morning, Kenny Stone. How are things in Fayetteville, Tennessee, sir? Thank you Um, for having me. I think everybody's going to get a a real kick out of visiting with with someone from from, uh, the eastern side of the United States. We we kind of out, out west, we sort of get our head in the sand and think that uh, uh, it's the center of the universe. And and obviously, there's horses all over the world, even in Tennessee. Um, yeah, so, so if you would, let's let's have everybody kind of get a chance to, to get to know you a bit. Um, tell me about your family life and uh, how you grew up and whether you're raised with horses. I grew up in Texas and I. I guess it's the unwritten rule in Texas that if you live in Texas, then you're going to be involved in horses in some way or another. And I grew up in a rodeo family, so I've pretty much been bopping around in horse trailers and horses ever since before I could walk and moved to Tennessee several years ago, been here ever since. And I guess it's something they say about Texas that you can live wherever you want to live, but Texas will always be home. And so that's why I've been out here for the last several years. What part of Texas did you, where where in Texas did you grow up? It was a little small town about 45 minutes west of Dallas, little small town called Mansfield, Texas. I'll be darned. Yeah, I have been to Mansfield, Texas. I had some real close friends that lived in Millsap for a number of years, and I got to visit them. So oh. I, I've, I've, I've wandered around some of those uh, farm roads down there that don't seem to really have any reason why they went the way they went. Um, but exactly. they'll eventually get you there. They will. Um, so you, you grew up in a rodeo family. Um, 
were you a, a rough stock rider or a timed event guy or a little of both? Pretty much timed event. Everything grew up. Of course, you know, I was riding before I could walk. And my first horse was a pro rodeo roping horse. So I kind of just fell into it that way and grew up on the roping and timed event end of the arena. Um, so what uh, what did you do as a, I mean, after, I mean, did, did you, did you graduate high school and say, I'm going to become a professional horse trainer or what, uh, t- tell us a little bit about kind of where you got from being a little kid to, to somebody that wanted to make their life as a, a, a with horses. Just growing up with it on an everyday basis. And I was fortunate enough that to be around some what I consider the older true horsemen that I was able to shadow around with and learn from. And I guess like everybody else, that once you get bit by the horse bug, then you're not going to get rid of it. And so I came up, you know, through in rodeo family, we always run in different roping horses or barrel horses or whatever it might've been at the time. And it was always just an, something in me that I wanted to know more. I wanted to figure out, okay, what makes this horse do this better than this horse over here does it? And so I just got to tinkering and watching the people that I grew up with. And then graduated high school, didn't really I've always tinkered with the horses and worked with them, but I never really decided to do it more or less full time and as in depth until I got out of high school. And then I was still competing pretty good and I always wanted to make whatever horses I had better because as everybody knows, you can't always go out and buy hundred thousand dollar horse so i had to take a lot of the horses that i already had and figure out okay what do i need to do to make these horses as good as i can make them and that's where a lot of the training and the refining of the cues and all that came into place and it just kind of they say like snowballed into one thing after another i would be working on my horses and everything else and somebody would have a problem and they would either ask me or i would make a suggestion hey you know let maybe try this and it started picking up speed and then people started you know asking me to specifically train for them and that took off and along the way i've been fortunate enough to be around, like I said, a lot of really good, what I consider true horsemen. And I just try to use the lessons I learned from them and the lessons I learned from all of the horses to be the best at it that I can be. That's where I'm at at the moment. So, so who was, who were some of the, the biggest influences on, on what methods you use today? Oh, and that's a good question. It was just back then growing up, there weren't a lot of the, the celebrity trainers that are out there today. They're, they just hadn't come onto the scene yet. There were some really old 
gentlemen, which I consider to be wise, and they didn't get all into the fancy gimmicks and toys and everything that today's training world has gotten to. They made it about communication and paying attention to the horse. And that really got me going. And as I got older and picking up speed, so to speak, I guess it goes back to the beginning. You know, the three that I guess many people will consider the holy trinity of horse trainers would be Ray Hunt, Tom, and Bill Durant. And a lot, what a lot of people don't understand about the trainers today is that although they have their special methods or expensive toys or whatever it may be, the basic building block for the training goes all the way back to Ray, Tom, and Bill. People have just modernized it a little bit, put a little different spin on it, so to speak. But the foundation, the core principles of all of the training today go back to Ray, Tom, and Bill. So I would say that they are my three biggest inspirations. Now, I can learn from anybody. I was told many years ago when I was a kid that even if someone's doing it wrong, you can still learn from them. You can learn how not to do it. And so along the way, you know, I've watched a lot of the so-called celebrity trainers and I picked up some stuff from them. And then there's a lot of really good, talented trainers that, you know, they're not celebrities. They're not out trying to make the DVDs or whatever, but they know what they're doing. And it's always put the horse first. So I guess all of that being said, the three biggest influences in me and my training, as far as, you know, names that people recognize would be Ray, Tom and Bill. Okay. Well, I mean, they're, they're, you get out, get out our way. I mean, they're, they're kind of from this country. Um, right. You know, uh, Ray Hunt, Ray Hunt lived just oh, a hundred miles south of where where I'm at, and and I've been fortunate enough to be friends with his uh, his grandson Wade, um, and everybody. I mean, I I wasn't old enough to really be involved with with uh, Mr. Hunt when he was doing a lot of clinics, um, but certainly um, he's had a major impact um, worldwide. I think maybe even more of an impact than than the Dorrance brothers because he was so willing to travel and and probably more more inclined to, to teach larger groups um, right. I agree with I, th that. I think it was I, I you know I think uh, a lot of what's written by and a lot of what we know about Bill and Tom Dorrance was, um, you know, due to, to Ray's wife, Millie, um, interpreting 
the yes the witchcraft that was the Dorrance brothers and, and making it so that we can begin to sort of sort of understand it right. um but exactly. if, i mean if you were to look at those methods um compare it if you would to i mean i think about this a bit is is how um when you see people do amazing animal training you know not just horses but but all other animals you know there's the negative there's the negative reinforcement crowd and then there's the positive reinforcement crowd um where where do you think that those i mean what we call it natural horsemanship today you know it is really um you know owes its roots to to being a teacher of animals and and teaching animals in a way that they can understand what would you say your your methodologies what part of i mean are you a positive reinforcement um advocate or or a negative reinforcement and 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 hopefully everybody understands that when i say positive and negative that doesn't mean one's mean and one's nice it, it just means there's it basically it has to do with the timing um so what, what do you think is most effective to horses well, I think what I prefer is, you know, positive because it doesn't matter if it's a horse or a child or a dog or whatever. You know, if you can approach them in a positive manner, then they're going to gravitate more towards, you know, well, if I do this, then I get something good as a reward. So I'm going to choose to do the good thing rather than do the bad thing. You know, that's not saying that there are times that the negative reinforcement has to come into play with certain things. It, so it becomes a balancing act and it becomes really important for the trainer to be able to understand their horse at that specific moment in training and interpret, okay, do I need to go positive with the next step or do I need to go negative with the next step? And it's all building one at another. You, you can't have all positive and you can't have all negative. So there has to be a good mix and a good balance and it's really important for the trainer, as I said, to be able to analyze that one second that, okay, I've got to make a decision. You know, what am I going to do next? Am I going to make it a positive experience or a negative experience? So I hope that makes sense to you. Well, it, it does. Cause I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to lead into, I, I think one of the most most important questions, I mean, I try and ask myself and, and try and stay clear on it, but, and, and I'm, I'm a fan of Wade Black in that Wade has spent a career trying to identify, name and define all those things that he, he had his grandpa tell him, there, did you feel that? There, did you feel exactly. that? So how, how do you define horsemanship? When, when you, you know, what is it? How do you know it? I mean, how do you think about it? So just, you know, how, let's, let's start there. Let's, how, how do you define horsemanship? Horsemanship in my book 
is all about putting the horse first. And I believe, I think it was Ray that even made the comment one time many years ago now that the second that it becomes more about you than it is the horse is one second too late that you should have quit. And so I try to build on that. So to me, the essence of horsemanship is communication. And people that know me know that I preach up and down on the communication soapbox because a lot of they don't understand your horse wants to do the right thing so to speak and if when you go in that round pen you've got to be able to establish a communication between yourself and the horse to where both of you can read each other you can feed off of each other and then it becomes a mutual process based on communication that the horse learns, okay, that Kenny's asking me to do this. Or I can watch the horse and I'm going, okay, the horse doesn't quite grasp this yet. You know, so let me think of another way to approach the situation. You know, the way that I'm asking the horse to do something is apparently not working correctly at the moment so let me find another way to ask the horse and to communicate with the horse that this is what I want you to do and I find it's like two people having a conversation you know one person can speak English and the other person can speak Chinese and both people could talk to each other but neither one of them is going to understand what the other one's saying and it's like one of my mantras so to speak it's like people that know me have heard me say this more times than not the secret is communication your horse does not understand human language so you are going to have to learn how to speak and understand horse language and once the person understands how to do that then they open up the entire training situation to simple communication if you will ask the horse to do something in a way that it understands nine times out of ten it'll do it for you you know and that's what i think the biggest mistake that people get into especially new people and i know everybody has to learn it's a learning experience but i see so many people that they go into a round pen and chase the horse in circles for an hour until it's tired and think that they've accomplished something well the only thing they've accomplished is run their horse in circles for an hour. And that's why when I work with a horse or I work with a client or whatever, learn how to speak horse language, learn that communication. And when you do, you know, training actually becomes easy. You know, the bottom line, horse training is actually easy. It's the people that make it hard. And so, you know, I've heard that. I've heard that statement and I've made that statement a hundred times. Yes. <clears throat> and I was having a, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last night <clears throat> and, and he made that, he made that very statement that, you know, it was, it was, he could, he could tell when he was talking to somebody pretty quickly in the conversation, whether or not he was going to be able to, to, to explain to them what they needed to do or not because some people just weren't open to it. Now, right. one of the things that occurred to me at that point was that, I mean, and I certainly, I, I, I've gone to a, probably not literally a hundred 
Um, but I mean, paid for clinics, probably 25, um, where you go spend, you know, a day, two days, three days, five days with someone. And what do we go there to do? We go there to learn how to train our horse, right? I mean, that's right. how we get, we get this skill that we have with our, with our horses. But when was the last time you saw anybody give a clinic on how to teach your client to be a horseman? Exactly. You know, I think, I, that's, I think that's I think something that's that. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's a it's a real need that we have in our industry for, you know, we, we spend all of our time trying to figure out how to teach our horse when what we really need to do is be more effective in, in educating our clients so that we don't dread giving those lessons so much. Um, exactly. There are there are people that have, I mean that that have a a, a real complete understanding of how people learn and the, exactly. the methods that that it takes because not everybody learns the same way. I mean we're all okay with the horses not learning. You know it, you have to you have to meet the horse where it is and and you have to teach talk to the horse in a language it understands. But if our client doesn't understand us, well then they're just a pain in the butt, exactly. right? Exactly. Yes, and maybe and we need to think about problems. that. That's a very good point because, you know, we all hear these people, you know, you, myself, any trainer out there, we can put, you know, 90 days on a horse or whatever it is. And the first thing we do, we send the horse home with the owner and then find out a couple months later, the owner can't do anything with the horse. That's because we as trainers owe it to the client, exactly like you said. I agree completely. It is our responsibility as a trainer to not only train the horse to do what's wanted, but we have also have to train the owner because if not, it doesn't matter how much what training we put on the horse what success we have with it if we send that horse home and the owner doesn't understand how to continue the training all we're doing is setting both of them up for failure so i completely understand what you're saying another uh, thing that i i think that's going to be one of my one of my goals for this coming year i was i was sitting there last night thinking about it um, envying, uh, envying Butch sitting in the hot tub in Hawaii when we were, we were having the, well, he wasn't in the hot tub, but he sent a picture of him being in the hot tub and, and, uh, then all dressed up to go out to dinner. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I was harassing him about it. And that's how we got the conversation started, uh, was, you know, the, the horse, the horses are easy to train, but the people are hard. Well, gee, I wonder which <laughs> maybe we need to go to fewer horse training clinics and more more clinics on how to teach our owners and be more effective, be a more effective people trainer. If we were as exactly. good, at, if we were as good at teaching people as we were teaching horses, uh, we might find that that makes things a lot better for everybody. Right. Exactly. And that's one of the things that's another thing that people that know me get tired of hearing me saying it. You know, I hate the term a horse whisperer because <laughs> it's like I said you can sit there and you know 
You can whisper to that horse all day long and it's not going to understand a thing you say. So my is like, and don't be a horse whisperer. If a person can learn to be a horse listener and learn to listen and pay attention to that horse, then everything's easy. You know, there again, it goes back to the fact that people make it hard. So don't be a horse whisperer, be a horse listener and things will be so much easier. But I completely agree with you that a lot of times we as trainers and we go to clinics and the emphasis is on the trainer working with the horse, going through their methods, and that's fine. But there again, we're not setting the owners up for success. And it comes back to just the simple fact that if you're at a clinic and the trainer tells you, okay, this is what, you know, I trained this horse to do, whatever it is. Okay, then maybe if we're lucky, the owner can get that horse to do whatever. But if we train the owner how to be successful themselves, then the owner can take those lessons that we taught them and apply those same, le- those same lessons to every horse they ever work with. And I th- think that's where we end up getting ourselves in trouble a lot of times because we focus on, okay, let's train you know, this owner to be able to take their horse and do whatever. So we're setting up a one owner and a one horse situation. But if we take the time to train the owner what it means to be successful and how to establish that communication and how to do whatever it may be then they will have the blueprint and the foundation to train any horse that's out there i hope that makes sense yeah i do and and i think i think it makes i mean as as i've as i've gotten older in my life when I was a little kid, <clears throat> there was just a few, you know, the old broke ranch horses were the only ones that were safe for me to ride. There was a real small pool of horses that I was able to have and enjoy. <clears throat> As I've gotten older, I've been able to, you know, develop my skills so that more and more and, and, and more varied kinds of horses and horses in different stages of training I've learned how to, you know, to coexist with that horse and to enjoy it. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, if we, if we can teach, teach our clients, they're going to enjoy and they're going to appreciate what we do for them more. I mean, I think a lot of trainers are concerned about having, becoming uh, obsolete, so to speak, that, you know, if they, if they teach their clients too much, then their clients won't need them. Um, and I have a hard time believing that's true. I, I think the more your clients know and the better your clients are, I, I think that's going to reflect better on you. And I don't think they're going to stop uh, you uh, know, bringing horses to you uh, yeah. because they're, they're good- probably never going to get to ride as much as you do, you know, and so they're not going to have, you know, their skill level probably will never approach yours unless they decide to, you know, quit their job and become a horse trainer. And if that, you know, if that's the case, that's the case. Right. But right. Um, I, I think, think people that will of, go ahead. I think along, along those lines, a lot of trainers 
I call it having the, the magician mindset. You know, they're only going to teach their client so much. You know, a magician, you know, he'll reach in, he'll pull the rabbit out of the hat, he'll show you all of the smoke and mirrors and what he did, but he's not going to teach you the real important stuff. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to give away a secret. And like you said, that becomes a problem at times because even if, as we say, a client is not going to become a professional horse trainer, but still we owe it to them to inform them as much as we can. You know, my thing is if you're a trainer and you're so worried about letting your clients know everything that needs to be done to train and you're keeping, I don't want to say keeping secrets, but you're not putting all your cards on the table as to why and how you got the horse to do whatever it is. I think we're doing, as, as we both said here together, we're doing a disservice to both the owner and the horse together, you know? I, I would, I would I agree. I hope that makes sense. Okay. Well, that, that, that's my soapbox for, for the first week of February anyway. So, um, you know, moving along, what, one other question I like to ask folks is, is what's the best single piece of horsemanship advice um, anyone's ever given you? The best and maybe, and maybe you've already told me, but. Um, oh, always put the horse first. And I know a lot of times that trainers or people we're working for an end goal you know if you're wanting to be a barrel racer your end goal is okay i'm gonna teach this horse to run barrels or if you're a rainer or a cutter or whatever too many times people fall into the mindset that this is my goal and i'm gonna do anything whatever and whatever to make it happen and along the way they lose sight of what's best for the horse. So the best advice that I was ever given, and I guess the, that I can always put the horse first. The horse deserves that. So that would be what I would say would be the best advice is always put the horse first. Excellent, excellent. I think, I don't think anybody could go wrong with that. <clears throat> um, tell me about uh, this. I think this is a fun question. Um, cause I, I think we all have one of these, but tell me about a horse that touched your heart and, and, and maybe what that horse did that, that changed you and your methods. Oh my God. That is an excellent question. And thank you for asking several years ago, I had a horse, tra a horse trader friend of mine call me and you know how horse traders are. They've always got the latest deal for you, but they call me and he said, I've got a horse that I think you need to work with. Well, okay, you know, whatever. So I went and looked at it and it was a really, really nice horse. But the problem was she had been a barrel fraturity horse and the people that had her, they had abused her. I mean, spur, gouge marks with the spurs, whip marks. It didn't matter what she did or how fast she ran it was never fast enough or good enough and this mare had literally become so dangerous 
that the people had turned her out on pasture for two years because they were afraid to do anything with her. And so I went and I looked at her. Okay, I can do this. And I got her and I brought her home and I put her in the round pen just like she was a two-year-old colt. Okay, we're starting this situation from the beginning. And I worked with her and worked with her. And she taught me so much because I knew when I stepped in that round pen with her and we were working, that I was walking a very fine line with her between, okay, I can do this, excuse me, you know, I can do this and she's going to accept it. Or if I do this, she's fixing to try to kill me. And so she made me be, learn to be so aware, to read every movement that she made, to read her and understand her and have that communication that I've talked about between us to where it was that fine line between what I can get away with and train her or what I'm going to do when she's fixing to try to kill me. And she made me the trainer that I am today because she forced me to slow down, put her first and take the time to do it right. And so to follow up the backstory, we went through training, got everything trained in one thing or another and I took her I actually qualified for championships with her and I took her to championships and there were like 500 something horses and I placed in the top 20 with her and to see that mare come so far to where she would literally try to kill you to being top 20 out of 500 something other horses. I mean, it was, it was wonderful. And so she is the horse that made me the trainer that I am today. And I am so thankful for her. You know, and unfortunately, you know, it happens, you know, she died and, and it was really touching because to see how far we had come right before she died at that point, I could ride her bridleless. And to know that we came from a situation that was nothing but built on pain and abuse and whatever you did, you didn't run fast enough or you weren't good enough. To come from that dark of a place with her to where we ended up, you know, There'll never be another horse that touches me the way that she did. Wow, that's really cool. <clears throat> so tell, tell me, what, what is one thing that your program did for a client that you didn't expect? Taught them how to appreciate the horse more. Taught them how to make it not about them and to understand that, hey, you know, your horse you know, has feelings, so to speak, to be able to 
view their horse in a different mindset, in a different capacity, and learn to appreciate that horse rather than just throwing a saddle on it, going to win a barrel race, and being done with it. And that's what I try to instill in everybody is, you know, here we go again. Put the horse first. Appreciate this horse. You know, this horse may not win the barrel race every night, but appreciate the fact that this horse gives you 110% every time you get on its back. You know, it doesn't have to win the championship, but appreciate the fact that this horse gives you everything it has to do its best. That's the best way I know to put it. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Um, I guess the, the next the next thing I'd, I'd like to know is if, um, if we could put a billboard uh, with anything you wanted on it down the road from your place, um, what would it be and why? It would be what I mentioned a while ago. If I could put a billboard up, I'd probably have to do a double side one because there's actually <laughs> more than one thing I'd put on it. But it would be stop being a horse whisperer and start being a horse listener. That would be on one side of it. And the other side would be you have to understand communication. And since horses don't understand human language, you are going to have to learn how to understand and speak horse language. Those would be the two things that I would put on a billboard for everybody to see. So, so if I were to ask you uh, what you consider to be the most, uh, most important aspect of successful training, um, do, you think, do you think that's where that conversation would go? Do you yes, think, what, no. I mean, what is, it, what is it you think? And when you look at, you look at, at, at non-pros or, or amateur horse people, just people that have a horse, what is the, what is the most glaring difference between those people and, and successful trainers? Because, and it goes back to education, and I know that everybody has to start somewhere, but you see it every day, everywhere. You know, you'll go to a barrel race or a horse show, and there'll be people there with the $100,000 horses and the championship buckles and all of that. And then you've got the people that bought their backyard horse. And I think the biggest difference, sadly, is the people, the new people, don't know what they don't know. And they, they do the best they can, but there's just it. They're not knowledgeable and experienced enough to know more than what they know so they will get a horse or whatever and it won't win or it won't do something it will have problems and then they get frustrated or they get mad and usually they will take it out on the horse but the successful horse people so to speak have learned the important stuff they have paid their dues so to speak and they have learned and that's something that, you know, I've seen people at events, barrel racing, ropings, whatever. And I've seen, you know, young teenagers or whatever cry because they were embarrassed to go out there with their horse against the other $100,000 horses. And that's sad because 
all they're doing is comparing themselves to that successful person at that one moment. They haven't learned yet that, hey, at some point, that successful person was starting at the beginning, just like you are. They had to learn how to be successful. And if they can learn how to be successful, you can learn how to be successful. And so I think to answer the question, the difference between new horse people and experienced horse people is that the experienced horse people have learned how to be successful. And the new horse people don't know what they don't know yet. So I've often heard it said that, uh, that advanced people work on basic things and, and beginning people work on advanced things. Exactly. Yes. And it's, and it's hard to make all the little basic things right. If you don't know what all the little basic things even are. Exactly. That is exactly right. And that's the problem that a lot of new horse people, you know, get into is, you know, like, barrel racing i'll just use an example to a new rider they'll watch somebody run barrels and it's okay my horse has to run fast and turn three times but they haven't learned all of the little idiosyncrasies and all of the little details that are actually happening in that run that the advanced rider knows how to control you know whether it be you know you know, picking your right point, you know, lifting the horse's shoulders, getting the race, getting the flex, getting the turn, whatever it is. A new rider only sees what they see. They don't understand all of the little bitty minute things that are happening that makes that successful person be successful. So I completely agree with that. A successful person will always refine and tune the basics. A non-experienced person in, goes after winning the championship without understanding what it takes to get. You know, one one thing that I've always wondered, and 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 I I I for me I can't I can't explain it. I've I've ridden several several barrel racing horses, and and I'm not picking on them, but one of the things that I've never understood is the anxiety that those horses seem to all have in the alley as a as a lifelong cutting horse enthusiast and reining horse enthusiast when i ride my horse into the arena um they're going to do some pretty you know pretty high level maneuvers they're going to run and they're going to stop and 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 there's going to be a ton of pressure on my and, and i would offer almost offer that a two and a half minutes of cutting is more pressure than than 15 seconds of a barrel race but oh, my horses walk to the herd with their head down, with their tail relaxed, you know, with that thousand cow look. And these barrel horses are just losing their ever-loving mind. What, well, it goes- what is it that causes that? And what do you, what could you do to maybe help that horse not be so anxious? It goes back to the, the new riders. You know, you'll get, like you said, some horses, they naturally reach the point to where they're going to get amped up and excited because it's time to go. But a lot of the hot horses that you see in the alleyway, the horses get hot because 
the writer is a new writer. They're not experienced. The writer is so wound up and excited and nervous themselves because they think they're going to go out there and try to run a 15 second pattern. And all they're doing is feeding their anxiety, their nerves, their being afraid. They're feeding all of that directly to the horse. And so the horse is sitting there going, well, if my owner's up there having a nervous breakdown on my back, you know, maybe there's a reason for it. And so the horse, you know, gets all amped up and excited and goes, and then it comes back. If the rider would learn, you know, just absorb, be realistic with what your chances are. You know, if you're a new rider, you know, it doesn't matter. I, mean, I even, how much I even you, go ahead. see this at the NFR. If you watch the bell racing at the national finals rodeo, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's, there's at least four of those girls that have to have their, have somebody lead the horse down the alley. Um, yeah, and it, I wondered yeah. if it wasn't just, I mean, it would be, you know, with $50,000 on the line, controlling your heart rate probably would be a trick, right? It is. And you, but you have to remember a lot, you know, the horses at the NFR, you know, they are professional horses in every way and they're bred to run. I mean, it's literally in their bloodlines. And so they get excited. They get amped because they know, Hey, you know, it's time to go. You know, it's time to go out there and smoke a barrel pattern. And, you know, and so there's a difference between a horse that is ready to go and one that's sitting there and their owner is having a meltdown on its back because the professional, the professional horses, you know, They've got a professional rider on their back. You know, you don't make the NFR and be the top 15 in the world unless you are a good horsewoman. And so a, an experienced, good professional rider will learn how to use that excitement and energy and momentum to the horse's benefit than one who is sitting on the horse's back and scared to death. So does that make sense? It, it, it does. I mean, I, I, I just had this, this a couple of weeks ago, this thought occurred to me when um, it, it wasn't very long ago that I learned that a group of horses, you know, <clears throat> a herd turned out in the field or, or Mustangs out on, on the plains. When they're at rest, their heartbeats synchronize. And I learned yes. that a horse... A horse can sense your heartbeat with it. If you're within four feet of a horse, yes, it can sense, he your, can heartbeat, sense your heartbeat. Absolutely. And we all know that if 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 we're scared, our horse is going to be scared exactly. because they're looking to us as the leader. Now, if we're right. if we're walking our horse down to the herd at the National Cutting Horse Association Futurity in the finals, and we're we're fixing to go after a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar first first place check. Um, our heart is probably not going to be at, you know, 70 beats a minute. Um, so what, you know, it's like, no wonder my horses are good at home and they struggle in the show pen because right. they don't care, but I do. 
so, you know, I, I, I'm my, 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 this year, one of my goals is to learn how to, to the best of my ability to control that, because I think it's important. And to the extent I can't control it, how to, as you put it, how to make that something that could be beneficial for the horse. Right. Um, but I, I really think when you, when it comes time to be in competition, I, I think that's why a lot of times you have a horse that's good at home and the wheels fall off in town. Exactly. True. I agree with that. So if, if, uh, if you were going to give somebody the best, what would be the best tip you would have that would make the world a better place for horses? Always put the horse first. Same answer. I mean, it's, same it's, answer. It's, like the three ways simple. to teach kids. Example, example, example. Um, yeah. I mean, leave your ego at home it's not about you put the horse first and if you do that if if you could yeah right if you could turn back time your time and talk to the to the 18 year old kenny stone what, what would you tell him believe in yourself you know i think it would be believing yourself and it would be understanding that you don't have to there are different ways of success you know so many people they get that one end goal in mind and they get so focused on it that they don't enjoy the process along the way to get there and so if i had to look back and tell my teenage self you know enjoy the process and thankfully, over the years, I have learned how to do that. But I think that's the biggest thing to anybody is people get so focused on the end result that they don't allow themselves to enjoy the process along the way to get there. That would be it. Um, so what, what advice would you give someone um, who's considering making a life with horses making a making a career with horses it's not always it's not easy as i would tell them leave your ego at the door put the horse first you may not be you don't have to be a million dollar celebrity trainer to be successful but if someone's going to make a career out of horse training, then understand that it's not all bright lights and gold buckles or whatever it is. There's a lot. It's hard. It's dirty. There are times, you know, you blood, sweat, and tears. And, and, and that's what I would tell somebody. If don't get caught up in how easy the celebrity trainers make it look. But be prepared to, if you start something, then go the distance with it. Because that horse is depending on you to make it better. So and do you think, do you think it's better to, to just find, find a trainer or someone that you see as, as, as you know, teaching horses in the way you want? want to learn how and go to work for them or do you think going to i mean there's several horse programs in, in the country where 
you know, you can go to, you can go to college for, I mean, up to four years and get a degree in horse training. Um, what, what, what would you, if you, you know, if you were going to give advice to the, to the, to the 18 year old you, would you tell him to go to school or go to work for somebody or, or, you know, or, or just kind of figure it out yourself? What, what do you think is, would, is the shortest distance between those two points? I would tell him to, you know, that horse does not know if you went to college and learned how to do it, or if you apprenticed with somebody to learn how to do it, that horse doesn't know that. That horse only knows what you put before it as far as your knowledge and experience. And, you know, I'm not anywhere against, you know, the equine programs that many of the colleges around the world, they do fabulous jobs. Yes, they do. But I would tell somebody, you don't have to go to a high dollar college and spend four years with all of this book learning and everything, the curriculum, you don't need, that doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Your mark of being successful is how that horse turns out. And, you know, and, and there's some people that, you know, they may thrive at a college in a controlled environment. We've talked before, people have different ways of learning. You know, for some, that may be a good way to do, but it's not mandatory. It's not, you have to go to college and learn how to train, be a trainer at college in order to be a good trainer. Because most trainers didn't learn that way, right? I mean, it's, it's a pretty small handful of, uh, as far as I know, the, the top cutting horse trainers in the country and the top reigning trainers I don't think they learned how to train horses in college. Exactly. Right. You know, and there, you know, if you go to college, you're just one student out of all the other people that is trying to learn. So there's going to be a lot of things that you may miss because the teachers or whatever were focused on somebody else at that time. But if you can find a successful trainer that will let you work with them, you can learn anything you want to learn. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here and, and get on my soapbox a little bit because I have, I have a lot of friends in, in, in the business, and there is a glaring shortage of young people that want to learn how to do this. And I know that because... Exactly. All my friends can't find anybody to help them, you know, saddle horses, lope horses. I mean, you know, they don't need somebody to come in and, and be a horse trainer for them. But if you want to learn how to, you know, from the outside watching, if you want to see what goes into making a high level performance horse, I mean, I'm a big believer that it's a lot shorter distance if you watch somebody and work with somebody that knows how to do it. Than to try and figure it out on your own. Now, I, I mean, I know, exactly. I know a guy here in the area who is amazing. I mean, and I mean, this guy, this guy is as good as they come, and he's pretty much figured it out on his own. Um, but I also, I, I mean, I have a hard time recommending that to anybody to to try and figure this out, you know, just by 
by watching watching some videos and, and say this is what I want my horse to look like when I'm done and then go outside and figure out how to get them there um I mean right Richard's a genius in my in my book but I I don't know very many people that could do that I, I I'm a big big fan of of going the apprenticeship route I mean exactly but we don't find where we're finding it difficult to find young people that want to learn it that way I agree. And the reason I guess for that is a lot of young people these days, they want the quick and easy solution. They don't want to spend the time in the dirt working with however many horses. So to them, they think, well, I can just go to college for four years and get a degree. And then just because my degree says that I'm a horse trainer, you know, just because your degree says it don't really mean that you know what you're doing. But I completely agree that the best way is. Well, you probably trained a horse while you were in college. You might even, you might've even trained two. Right. Exactly. But at the same time, while you're training yours, the professor, there's 10 or so other students there. They're trying to train their horse. Right. And so and all, you don't get that one on you don't get that one on one, you know, instruction that you're gonna get with, you know, that you would get with a working a one on one apprenticeship with someone. Yeah, but and that same time Tom McCutcheon's probably trained 150 horses exactly. <laughs> while you were in school. Exactly. You know, and a lot of people they if they go through college and get a degree, that's all well and good. But my belief is if you can go to work for like Tom McCutcheon or Andre Fapani or anybody, and you get that one-on-one -on -one experience, then that's going to open the door for you to so many more people for you to have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with for them to start sending their horses for you to train rather than you just going to college and getting a degree that says you know how to train horses. So I think working as an apprentice under somebody is going to open more doors for you directly than if you just went to college with, you know, a group of other people and got a diploma. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Kenny, what, here's a personal question for you. What's, what's the best compliment you've ever received? Oh my gosh. Oh, the best compliment I ever received. And it's amazing because I've actually gotten the same compliment for two or three different people over the years was people that I respected in the industry. And I looked up to it, told me that in their eyes, in their opinion, I was a true horseman. That is the best compliment anybody could ever give me, is to look at me and say, you are a true horseman. That should be the goal for everybody. And a lot of people yeah, who don't would, understand. Who appreciate that. Right. And, you know, and a lot of people, they don't understand these significance of that that there 
is a wide world of difference between somebody that has a horse and a true horseman. And to have people that I looked up to give me that compliment that in their eyes, I am a true horseman. That's the greatest compliment that anybody could ever give me. Neat. That's really neat. Um, so on the on the competitive side, uh, I know as a timed event guy, um, you don't you don't do that if you don't kind of thrive on a competition at least a little bit. What what's the biggest competition you've ever entered, and how did you get involved with that, and what did that teach you? There have been different ones growing up, depending on. Excuse me, how old I was at the time. I mean, I've you know been fortunate enough to win some championships here and there. And you know, I've the biggest one I would ever say would probably you know the you know NBHA finals or just different things. I mean, there have been high dollar you know prestigious ropings that I've entered. There have been barrel racings that I've entered, you know, and it's, you know, I guess to me that would be the pinnacle, you know. I mean, I'm not out there, you know, running the road anymore like I used to, you know, trying to win the AQHA world or anything like that. But, you know, I've had some success and I'm thankful for it. Right. I mean, but for, for me, the, the important part of this, this is that, that, you know, competition, competition's great only if it teaches you something. And that, that was more what I was looking for is what, what did, what did, what did competition uh, teach you? Competition taught me that it's not always going to be easy and it doesn't matter how good you are or how good your horse is you know it doesn't matter how easy it is to do something in your indoor arena at home but when you show up at a high stakes event it's not just you anymore and competition taught me to never get the ego never get to where I would say, well, I'm just going to roll in here and I'm going to win all the money and, you know, that's it. Competition taught me how to be humble. It taught me how to be realistic with the situation and the expectations and what it was going to take to be successful in that competition that would be what competition has taught me the most is it's taught me to be humble. It's taught me to understand that it's not just me out there. You know, if I win, I'm going to have to earn it against all these other horses. And so it kept me humble. I guess looking for an answer to your question, it taught me that to be humble, but never stop trying to improve. You know, I've heard somebody say one time that the toughest competition anybody will ever have is against yourself because it doesn't matter how good you are 
you can be better. And it doesn't matter how much you win, you're never going to beat yourself. So the toughest competition you'll ever face is yourself. Because it doesn't matter how good you are, you can be better. And it doesn't matter how much you win, you're never going to beat yourself. Hope that makes sense. Okay, so so what uh, what's something that people seem to misunderstand about you, Kenny? The, the people that the people that you're around, what 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 is it about you? What can you think of some things that that they don't understand? Mm, that's a tough question. I know it's meant to, it's it's meant to be, but I, I I think it lets people know who you are. If I would say things that people misinterpret for me. Well, I'll give you I'll give you an example. I have a really close friend and and she is she's probably the fiercest competitor I've ever met. And she's the hardest working woman I've ever met. And she has the biggest heart I've ever met. And most people don't know that. They don't know how big her heart is and how humble she is. They just see the fierce competitor. And, and, and yeah. how well she comes up, she comes prepared and she wins, but nobody sees the other side of that as to how hard she prepares, how much she cares and how big her heart is and how much she loves horses. They don't see that part. Yeah. They just see the other part. Does that, does that make and it I, easier? Yeah, it does. And I mean, and I could, you know, use that is that, you know, when I'm competing, you know, or I'm training, I'm my hardest critic, you know, and, but yet I can step back and have the work ethic and the consideration for others. I mean, yes, you know, I mean, I love to win when I compete, but it's gotten to the point over the years to where it's more gratifying for me to see a horse that I've trained or a client that I've worked with to see them be successful. You know, it's not all about me that I can appreciate the process. And I mean, I can be so happy when I see a horse that I've trained or a client be successful. And I guess that would be it that I do have a compassionate side perfect perfect so i mean we're, we're getting getting close to being i know you've got things to do today and i really appreciate you giving me so much of your time today and uh what sure. just let, let people know a little bit about what what are your goals for this coming year what what what's what does kenny stone want to make better this year what what are your goals for the year right now <coughs> there's been a lot of things due to a lot of family situations and life situations that are ongoing on that I've had to scale back somewhat as far as how much, how many horses I would usually work with. I just want to be able to, at the end of the year, be able to say or look myself in the mirror and that it doesn't matter how many horses I worked with or what success they had that I did the best I could do with them, you know, and, and that's 
tries to be my goal for everything is, you know, I tell myself a lot of times, and I've told other people that the most important horse that you will ever train is the one you're training with right now. Because all of the ones that you've trained previously are finished and gone. The ones that you haven't trained yet don't matter yet. So it don't matter if you train a hundred horses in your lifetime, the most important horse you will ever train is the one you're working with right now. And when I can look at myself in the mirror at the end of the day or at the end of the year and sit here and say, well, you know, that horse, you know, wasn't as successful as I thought it could be, or I didn't accomplish this goal or that goal or whatever. But if I can look at myself at the end of the year and know that I did my best and hopefully I was able to get the best out of my horses. That's all any horse person can ask for. Well, Kenny, I, I again, I really appreciate uh, you you sharing with us uh, your thoughts on horsemanship and and on yep. on what it what it means to put horses first. I think it's I think it's great reminders for every each and every one of us. Thank you for having me. I'm glad um, I could help. I uh, again I appreciate you giving me the time. Um, appreciate and, uh, it. We will talk to you again real soon, and and God bless you, and and you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for joining me on Horse Sense 101 a podcast dedicated to helping you have that meaningful relationship with your horse you always wanted to have. Please tell your horsey friends about us and invite them to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101, and every Monday for our podcast available at 6 a.m. Mountain Time. I'd like to thank you, my listeners, members, Mr. Kenny Stone, as well as my wife and friends that make all this possible. God bless you and have a wonderful week. The Mustang still runs free soars above the pinion pines and we know these horses stand for something that is precious and more rare than all the silver and the gold from them old mines so let them run let them run let them white ponies run don't you brand them don't you break them don't you let the killers take the same